It is so good to see each and every one of you. For those that are watching online, we are so glad that you have tuned in and are a part of our service. Again, my name's Bill. I'm the lead pastor. If you're new with us, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're new online, welcome as well. Well, we are in the middle of a series. We started a series last week called What I Wish I'd Known Sooner. And as I stated last week, unfortunately, some of the most important spiritual lessons are learned far too late in life. And um, what's amazing about spiritual lessons, and I think most of you would agree with me, is they're easily forgotten, aren't they? You learn something and it changes your life, but it's just a matter of time before it kind of just fades off. And so whether you're being introduced to a, a new spiritual principle that you've never known or just relearning something that maybe you've forgotten about, I hope this series is a blessing to you. Um, <laughs> we're going to highlight some really important spiritual truths, including today. But just in way of review, last week we kicked off this series by talking about the fact that as believers, if we're not incredibly careful... We can go through life worried and concerned about all the, all the wrong things. And worry is one of those sermons that you can, we should probably do about 10 of them a year, don't you think? Because just that reminder that there's nothing to worry about, God's in control, and, and let's be focused on what really matters. Let's focus on the right things. If you missed that message, you can find us on YouTube. And if you haven't subscribed, do that because we would love for you to get what we are posting there and the updates as well. Well, I begin today by stating the obvious. And the obvious is this, we are living in a day and age where culture isn't just drifting into greater and greater realms of ungodliness. No, we are living in a day and age where culture is rushing headlong into greater realms of ungodliness. Do I hear an amen? amen. Are you with me? And while there is no shortage of examples that I could give to you this morning to, dis to demonstrate this reality, perhaps there is no single area that better illustrates this truth than our culture's total embrace of a radically progressive view regarding such issues as marriage, gender, and human sexuality. This perfectly illustrates what we're talking about today. Now, the reason for this sermon is because uh, about two weeks ago, Dr. John MacArthur at Grace Community Church in Southern California issued a challenge for faithful churches to preach on this subject today. And so we join about 3,000 other churches that have signed up in North America and Canada to speak on this issue today that we might proclaim the truth. See, whether you know it or not, there is a sexual revolution happening before our very eyes. It's a revolution, at least in this country, that finds its roots back in the 60s. Some of you were alive then. I wasn't, which would explain why I have so much hair still. Just kidding. Yes, this was the Woodstock generation. And it was the generation, it was the decade in which restraint was cast off. Specifically, there was sexual liberation, where people were able to explore what they wanted to explore and do what they wanted to do. Even to this day, the sexual revolution that started in the 1960s is revered and romanticized, celebrated and even glorified by our culture to this very day to this very day. But the revolution that began in the 1960s has turned, on, turned into literally a full-on insurrection today. Why do I say that? Our society is relentlessly and aggressively and systematically overthrowing every last biblical and moral standards with regard to marriage, gender, and human sexuality. It is relentless, the attack that is happening. It is amazing, and I think many of you would agree with me, that the world that we're living in today I mean, even 10 years ago, it was radically different, wasn't it? 
The world that we are living in today is truly incredible. Our forefathers could not have imagined, I think, a day in which we would be dealing with the issues that we are dealing with. But it's not just here in this country, of course, it is in Canada as well. As a matter of fact, Dr. MacArthur's challenge to do this was because of what is happening in Canada. Um, a bill was just passed in Canada, and it was uh, Bill C-4. And here is the preamble to this bill. It's a little, a little heady, but let me read it to you. It says, it's talking about, um, well, I'll just read it to you. That heterosexuality, cisgender identity, let me just stop right there. Cisgender, when you're cisgender, cisgender simply means the sex, I identify with the sex that I'm born with. So if I'm a male, I identify as a male. If you're a female, if you have a female body and you identify as a female, you're cisgender, okay? So it's, so that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and gender expressions that conform to the sex assigned to a person at birth that these are to be preferred over other sexual orientation, gender identities, and gender expressions is a myth. <laughs> it has become essentially illegal for pastors in Canada to preach the truth, or they will go to jail. But folks, what is happening there will happen here if we are not bold and if we, the church, do not stand our ground. So why do I tell you this? Well, it relates to our current sermon series, What I Wish I'd Known Sooner. And one lesson, and I mean this, that I wish I would have, I knew it early, I knew it. I just wish I, wish, I wish I would have embraced it with all my heart as a younger man in Christ and as a younger minister that I would have embraced this principle so much stronger uh, earlier on in life. But the one lesson that is better learned earlier, sooner, rather than later, is this, folks, the utter impossibility of believers being friends with the world in any way, shape, or form. Amen. Do I hear an amen? amen? In case you have forgotten, we are a people who have been called out of the world. Again, I've said it before, the, the very word, the Greek word for church, ekklesia, ek meaning out, kaleo meaning called out. We are the called out ones. We have been called out of the world. And though we are in the world, we are to be radically set apart from the world. Spurgeon said that we are the most unique people on the face of the planet, Christians. Why? Because we live in two worlds. The non-believer only lives in one world. You and I live in two worlds. And though we are to be in this world, we are not to be of it. And yet, despite the utter impossibility of believers, of Christians, of the church being friends with the world, believers, myself included, are continually tempted to think that if we just keep trying, we'll eventually find some common ground on which we can make peace with the world. Specifically with regard to the issues that we're talking about today, marriage, gender, and sexual ethics. If we just keep trying, if we're just smart enough, we'll be the one generation that figures out to, to, to find a common ground that we can all stand on together. Folks, I hate to break it to you. Biblically speaking, there is no common ground. There is no common ground by which the church and believers can be friends with the world in any way, shape, or form. And it's on that note, church, it is my honor to take us to the word of God today. We'll be in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. Church and those online, hear the word of God this morning. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater 
than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Amen and amen, church. Again, I present to you the word of God today. Church, question, how much did the world hate Jesus? Enough to arrest him, falsely accuse him, mock him, torture him, and kill him by nailing him to a cross where he would slowly suffocate. That's how much they hated him. And they did this. Do you know why they did this? Here's why they did it. Precisely because there was no common ground that they could find to stand upon with Jesus. Because Jesus wouldn't budge. Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. The one who is truth proclaimed the truth and he was not willing to budge. They wanted, the Sadducees would have done anything for, to find common ground on which to stand. There was no common ground. Jesus told them to come and follow him on the narrow road. But there is no other road than the narrow road and either you're on it or you're not. To put it another way, folks, very simple. There is God's way and there's the wrong way. Do I hear an amen? You know, it's simple principles like this. You know, there's a, there's a book I read in college. It's a really funny book, but the, it's, it's not even by a Christian, but it's all I really needed to know I learned in kindergarten. If you, anybody read that book? It's, it's a funny, witty book, uh, but all I really needed to know I learned in kindergarten. But it's some of the most basic truths, the simplest of truths that we as Christians can get away with, can, can move away from, that when we get back to them, they're transformative. And, and it's simply this. This is one of them. There's God's way and there's the wrong way. That's it, period, end of sentence. And the sooner that we as believers individually and the church collectively come to accept this, the better off we will be. It's a lesson just like last week's. You want to learn it early and hold on to it dearly. Hold on to this lesson dearly, that there's God's way, there's the wrong way. There's a narrow road and there's a broad road. That's it, folks. That is it. Because if we don't, if we don't hold this idea that there's God's way and the wrong way, specifically with regard to marriage and gender and sexual ethics, if we don't, we will spend our days seeking to accomplish the impossible. We will spend our days seeking to find a common ground with the world. And when we're trying to find a common ground with the world, we're seeking to do that which is impossible. And it's precisely when you are seeking to accomplish the impossible that you are going to be tempted to compromise all that is meaningful. Right? When are you going to be most tempted to compromise? It's when you're seeking to accomplish that which is impossible. We as the church have to recognize what is impossible. What is impossible is taking a Christian worldview and melding it in any way within, with, a, with man's worldview or a philosophical worldview that comes from this world. It's impossible. It is impossible. Now, none of this should come as a surprise to us. It really shouldn't to those of us who are believers. Why? Because Jesus left absolutely no doubt as to what he was calling us to when we became his disciples. He, wasn't, he, he was calling us to follow him on that narrow road in the most radical of ways. Matthew 16 says this, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, you want to follow me? Here's what it means if you want to follow me on this narrow road. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, it could very well cost you your life to follow me. This is how much the world is going to hate you when you follow me. That is how difficult it is to be on the narrow road. It may cost you your life. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke, 
In the book of Luke, it says this, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, and listen to this, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. You want to know what it means to be one of my disciples, what it means to follow me? I am first foremost and everything else is a distant second, including your own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. Listen, folks, as believers, we have died to this world. We have died to the people of this world. We have even died to our own selves in this world. We are now wholly devoted to pleasing our Savior, which is our highest priority, our number one calling, our single driving passion, our sole devotion. That is what Christ has called us to do in this generation. As Christians, we are not like the people of this world. Do you understand how radically different you are from a non-believer? 2 Corinthians says this, Therefore, if anyone in Christ, he is a what? Say it with me. New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Folks, you are a new creation. Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Folks, whether you know it or not, as a new creation in Christ, you are completely set apart from those who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. You do understand this. That is why so many of you, you have family members who aren't believers and they hate you. They hate what you stand for. They hate the life that you're living. And you, and I, you feel that tension because you want, you want to build that bridge. You want to be friends with them, but they hate you because of the life you're living. That's exactly what the Savior said it would happen. It doesn't just happen in our places of work, in our neighborhoods. They happen in our own families where our own families turn against us because we are going to live to please the Lord with our lives. We have nothing in common with those who aren't saved. And that's why I've said, I've said it before. Remember, every building you enter, every threshold you cross, every conversation you enter, that place, that conversation is now sanctified by your presence because a man or woman of God has now entered the building. A man or woman of God has now just entered a building full of people who are spiritually estranged from God, spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. And you are a believer. And so that's why I said, do not ever lose sight of who you are. You are a chosen people set apart by God from the foundation of the world to serve him in this generation. Just how set apart from the world are we to be? The Bible says this, do not be unequally, unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness, you with lawlessness, the world? Or what fellowship has light, you with darkness, the world? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God, you, with idols, the world. For we are the temple of the living God. I will make, and, and, uh, and God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And God says this, therefore, go out from their midst, come out from them and separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Do you want to know how different you are from the people around you? This different. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, that is unbelievers, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Do you understand those in your family and those in the world who are unbelievers 
They cannot, it's not like they, they may go, yeah, I'm cool with God. I'm cool with God. They're not. They're living in a hostile, if they will not bow the knee to Christ, they, they're not on good terms with God. If they were truly on good terms with God, if they were truly okay with the God of the Bible, they would submit themselves on that spot in the moment to the Son of God. But the fact that they will not bow the knee to Christ means that they are actually hostile to God. The unbeliever may have a nice face and put on a good, uh, just put on a good appearance and, and may even come to church and do some religious things. But if that person rejects the Son of God, they also reject the Father who sent him. They are hostile to God. They do not submit to God's law. They cannot. Do you understand that the non-believer cannot submit to God's law? Second Corinthians says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. See, you delight in the law of the Lord, right? Just as David did in the Psalms, right? I delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate day and night. And then like a tree firmly planted, I will prosper in my time. That's Psalm chapter one. I used to sing it all the time. I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate day and night. And then like a tree firmly planted, I will prosper in my time. We used to sing that in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Why do you delight in the law of the Lord? Because you've been saved. Your heart has been transformed. You are a new creation. The unbeliever in your family, at your place of work or whatever, they may seem like, oh, I'm cool with God. Folks, they do not understand what you understand. The spiritual truth that you cherish in your heart and that you love, they're hostile towards it. They hate it. They can't submit to it. They can't understand it. And that's why they can't understand you or me. And yet, somewhere in the back of our minds, my mind, I think, well, maybe I can find a way to be friends with you. Maybe I can find a way to take my worldview and meld it with your worldview and we'll find some common ground to stand on. Folks, that common ground does not exist. The narrow road is narrow for a reason. The natural person does not accept the things from the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But you and I, what do we have? We have the mind of Christ. It's like trying to take the mind of Christ and making it, trying to find a common ground with those that really are from below, that have the mind of the world, the mind of the flesh, the mind of the devil. The late great R.C. Sproul, one of my heroes in the faith, said this, the greatest weakness in the church today is that the servants of God keep looking over their shoulder for the approval of men. <laughs> By the way, just as soon as I've said this before, and I'll say it again, just remember the minute that the church or we as believers compromise and we go, the world will say, just budge a little bit, move the line here. Let's just redefine marriage to this. And we go, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll concede that. Just as soon as we move to this line, guess what they're going to do? They're going to move it again. And they're going to say, come here. And that line, that, that line will never stop being moved. Concede all you want. You'll never get to the end. You'll never get to the end because they will keep moving it. Folks, spiritual maturity is when the church says, we don't care what the world thinks about us. We are going to live to please God, and that's all that matters. We are going to live to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't care what you think about us. It is juvenile. It is juvenile when we are concerned that the world would somehow find us acceptable or pleasing or, or happy with us. Folks, it's impossible. If they hated our master... What are they going to do to you and me? If they disrespected the Son of God, what are they going to do with you and me? Of course they're going to hate us. The greatest weakness in the church today is that the servants of God keep looking over their shoulder for the approval of men. Wow. 
folks, that's part of this lesson is that we as the church, the lesson, folks, we have to learn is we cannot be friends with the world in any way, shape, or form. Do not feel guilty because that exists. I think many of us feel guilty because in our families, we're standing strong and our family doesn't like us. And somehow we feel guilty for that. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty for, for honoring God in your family or at your place of work. That is what you and I have been called to do. Now, what I'm about to say may sound a little bit counterintuitive, but listen carefully because the ch what the church has been doing over the last 20 years, 30 years, is we've been looking for common ground. But no one understand this. The church will be most effective not when it seeks to find common ground, but rather when we boldly stand our ground. I'm telling you, how is it that Jesus took 12 men and literally turned the Roman Empire on its head in one generation. He took the greatest world empire and turned it on its head in one generation. Did he do it by compromising? No, just the opposite. He was unwilling to budge, and they crucified him for it. Had he just budged a little bit and found some common ground, he would not have been crucified. That first generation turned the Roman Empire on its head in a single generation because they were unwilling to budge. Folks, what makes, we, we, here we are in the 21st century and somehow we think, well, we'll be the one generation that figures out some sort of common ground with marriage or gender or human sexuality. No, 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 no. The church needs to hold its ground. But what is true for the church collectively is true for each of us individually. If we want these few years that we have on this planet to count, we must understand early and revisit often the truth that it is impossible for us as believers, individual believers, to be friends with the world. Don't feel guilty if the world hates you. Don't feel guilty if your family hates you. Don't feel guilty if those at work hate you. That is to be expected. They hated our master as well. This is the truth that Christ came to bring. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. As Christians, we can find common interests with non-believers, sports, hobbies, general interest type things, temporal things that we can build bridges and have relationship with non-believers, but there is literally no scenario in which a believer can find common ground when it comes to melding a truly biblical worldview with any other type of man-centered worldview or philosophical system. Sadly, we have seen church after church and entire denominations trying to find common ground with the people of this world over the past 30 years. And denominations have fallen before our very eyes. Strong, once great, proud denominations that preach the truth are now laid waste, laid to waste. Many of these churches have sought to find common ground in the areas of marriage, gender, and sexual ethics. I preached this sermon, obviously, last night at our Saturday night service, and I was talking to somebody over, right over here, and he said to me, because he was in full agreement, but he just said, it's kind of like, where are all the adults? And he was so right. Where are the adults? And by adults, I mean, where are the spiritually mature men and women who are going to say, enough is enough of this nonsense? Right? right? Here's the deal. Um, I forget what I was going to say there. Listen. There is God's view of marriage. Oh, here's what I was going to say. Do you know who the biggest, when, when the church flirts with being friends with the world, do you know who pays the price for it? Our children. Our children. Our children are growing up in a generation where there is nothing 
but confusion on some of the most important issues, gender, marriage, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, my son, who's a sophomore at ASU in the aeronautical engineering program, he had to take one credit PE class, he just told me yesterday. And he signs up for the class. He, had to, uh, he wanted to play basketball, but all the good ones were taken, so he had to take like stretching. And so he signed up for a stretching. <laughs> <laughs> Proud of you, son. Proud of you. <laughs> but the very first question they, they got, and he got in the class, and the lady walked in and said, what are your preferred pr pronouns? That's the world that we're living in. That is the world that we're living in. Now, he's a, he's a man. He's a Christian. He's, he's solid. It's our young ones that I'm worried about. They're growing up with absolute, utter confusion about gender and sexuality and marriage. It's just, it breaks my heart. But there is a warning. Woe to them who causes one of these little ones to stumble. It would be better for a millstone to be tied around their neck, to be thrown into the sea, than cause one of them to fall. This generation of people that are doing this better understand what is at stake. More on that in a second. Folks, there is God's view of marriage. There is God's view of gender. There is God's view of family. There is God's view of purity. And then there is man's view. That is it. Period, end of sentence. Period, end of sentence. What is God's view of purity? Just in case the church has lost this, let me just reiterate this for all of us. Because I'm burdened that the church has lost a sense of what is pure, what purity means, because there are too many Christians living together, there are too many Christians doing things that are inappropriate. Folks, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, if you even think it, you are guilty of adultery. We are to be pure in our minds, let alone our actions. All of our actions should be pure, but it should go to what we're thinking behind closed doors when no one is looking, that we're pure in mind. Despite this, as I already stated, believers, myself included, are continually tempted to think if we just keep trying, we'll be the one generation to figure out that common ground that none of our other previous generations of believers found. Charles Spurgeon said this, I fear that sometimes in our endeavors to be sweet in disposition, we have not been strong in principle. In trying to be courteous, listen to this, we have also been traitorous. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest, he's known in the Prince of Preachers. He preached in the 1800s in England. He was the greatest preacher at the time, perhaps one of the greatest preachers in the history of the church. He was what was known, he was part of, he wrote uh, in his newsletter anonymously about what he called the downgrade controversy. It was called the downgrade controversy. And what he saw is liberalism and liberal ideas getting into the church already. It was specifically the Anglican church. But he saw it happening and he said, We're, the church is on a downgrade. It's on a slippery slope, if you will. And if we don't correct it, we're going to keep going down. It's, it was called the downgrade controversy. But Spurgeon headed this and said, the church is in trouble. We cannot compromise with the world. We can't let, not only, listen to where the church is today, folks. The, the church is not only seeking to compromise with the world. We've invited the world into the church to tell us how to do church. No, thanks. No thanks. I'm not going to let somebody who's spiritually dead, doesn't understand spiritual truth, cannot submit to the things of God and is hostile to God tell me what it is to mean to worship the one true God. Uh, those of us that have the mind of Christ. But that's exactly what we've done. We have invited the church into the world and now we take our cues from the world telling us what to do. No thank you. 
As much as you and I may long for the people of this world to love and accept us, folks, the only way that is going to happen is if we start making concessions. But know and understand this. Listen very carefully. Making concessions will never lead to common ground. You do understand this, right? Concessions will only lead you to compromised ground. You might think, I'm standing on common ground with this non-believer. You're not. You're standing on compromised ground. And they probably didn't compromise. You did. The only way you didn't compromise is if they came believers and joined you on the narrow road. If you're on that ground, then you're on common ground. But any other ground is not common ground. It is compromised ground. We think of the greats, the great men and women throughout the Bible who stood their ground in their generation. We think of um, Joshua who told his generation, choose this day whom you'll serve. I think of Elijah. Elijah came to mind. Remember Elijah did prophet, he, he did battle with the prophets of Baal in his generation. And uh, listen to what he says. This is what Elijah says to the generation of Israelites in, in his generation. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? What is wrong with you people? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And listen to this. And the people did not answer him. I think because they were absolutely convicted. A true prophet stood before them and said, you are limping between two decisions. You have no courage, no conviction to stand on what you know to be true. If you think for a moment that Baal has anything for you, then follow him. But if you know that God is true and his way is true, then get 100% on board, 100% on board. Follow God. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. It is a narrow road and called the narrow road for a reason. Don't be ashamed to be on that road. Be courageous when you're on that road. It might feel lonely when you're on that road, and it is. There are times when it'll feel like you are the only one walking that road. Happened to Elijah. Remember? He said, God, I'm the only one left. And what did God say? You're not. You may feel alone in this moment, but know that there's others with you, 7,000 other prophets that are with you. Know and understand this. There's going to feel, there are going to be times you're on that narrow road holding your own, and it's going to feel like you're there alone. You're not. There are 3,000 other churches. Did I tell you this this morning? We, sign, we signed up with, there's 3,000 other churches signed. I signed the pledge for our church this week, but there's 3,000 other churches across North America and Canada that are preaching similar messages today. Amen? That's good news. We're not alone. There are faithful brothers and sisters holding their own in other parts of this world. In Canada, they're going to jail for it. <sighs> we need to do what Elijah did in his generation, stand our ground being unwilling to compromise. As you well know, the, the highest virtue in our culture today is this, tolerance. It is the grandest of all virtues. And not just any type of tolerance, but a complete unbridled tolerance of everyone and everything despite anything. And while we as Christians should certainly seek to be tolerant and grace-filled people where we can, we always want to be gracious and patient and kind and loving. There is a point and a very clear point at that where we cannot and will not be tolerant. Believe it or not, there is a type of tolerance that even God hates. And by the way, there is a type of tolerance that God hates specifically with regard to sexual sins. Shall I prove it to you? Church. Hear the word of God. But I have this against you, that you say it with me. Tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess is in teaching and seducing my servants to practice. Yeah. 
sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Now listen to this. Remember how I told you? Jesus says, woe to those who cause these little ones to stumble. Better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than to, cause to, do, to, to do this. The people that are causing our little ones to stumble in this generation, they, they need, the reason they're doing it is they do not fear the Lord, but they don't fear the Lord because the church isn't preaching judgment. But the Bible certainly preaches it. Shall I prove it to you? Verse 22. Verse 22. Behold, I will throw her on a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. You go, people go, well, the God of the, the, God of the New Testament's loving and kind. Yes, he is. But he's a God of wrath. And it's a terrible thing. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Amen? In our generation, these people that are doing this need to be told this because they are going to be held accountable. If you love these people that are stumbling and causing others to stumble in this way, we shouldn't, I mean, we're not doing this going, oh, look at how bad you are and look at how great we are. But for the grace of God, we would be with you. We love you enough to tell you you are headed towards the worst type of judgment. Escape it while you can. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Christ, bow the knees, enter the narrow gate and walk the narrow road. If you've walked the narrow road, you know the beauty of walking the narrow road, isn't it? There's nothing like, there's so much joy in being obedient to the Lord. There's so much joy in being obedient to the Lord. Where was I? Um, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the, heart, the mind and the heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Just how seriously does God take this issue of believers seeking to be friends with the world? Serious enough for James to write this. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Sadly, while churches who in the name of tolerance have compromised with the world, specifically regarding marriage, gender, and sexual ethics, they may have endeared themselves to the world, but they have estranged themselves from God in the worst kind of way. And of this you can be certain, they will be held accountable. They will be held accountable. Folks, you will not because you are faithful. This church is faithful. We escaped that. Praise God. So where does this leave us? I have one overriding thought that I'd like to end this sermon with today, and here it is. As believers individually and the church collectively, here it is, we have to move past this crazy notion that being friends with the world is even a remote possibility. Folks, it is not even a remote possibility. It should not be on our radar. It should not cross our minds because it is an impossibility. Folks, when you try to accomplish the impossible, that is when you are going to sacrifice and compromise all that is meaningful. As believers, we must fix our gaze straight ahead on that narrow road and with courage and conviction, live the holy lives that God has called us to, be, to live, not feeling guilty for a moment for those that hate us. They may try to blame us Fine, go ahead. But you're blaming us for living a holy life? If that's the judgment that I'm going to face, so be it. I'd rather face that judgment than stand before the living God on that day having compromised. Amen? If the people of this world do not understand our desire to please God, oh well. I'm not a, I'm not a teenager anymore. I'm not a juvenile anymore. I don't need your approval to have a good day. <laughs> the only thing I need to do to have a good day is please my God. You as well. If the people of this world are offended by the lives we are leading or the things we are teaching or preaching, oh well. As a matter of fact, folks, it's 100% certain they will. Why? Because Peter said as much. Listen to this passage. And notice how 
it's loaded with everything regarding sexuality. For, time, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now listen to this. With respect to these, they, that is the world, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But notice what it says. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This generation who, are, who is undertaking this sexual, not even revolution, it's a sexual insurrection, they need to be warned. <laughs> Judgment is coming, and it's going to be severe. It's going to be severe. But I want you to look at what verse 4 says. With respect to these things, they're going to think it's strange. They're going to be surprised when you and I don't partake in their flood of debauchery. You don't think marriage can be with whoever you want, whenever you want? No, we don't. You don't think a person can identify with whoever they want to be, whenever they want to be? No, we don't. And when we do that, we are going to be a strange oddity, a bizarre abnormality, a freakish curiosity. Remember when you used to go to uh, the local, uh, uh, you remember, the, the, not the circus, but they'd come into town with the rides and carnivals. And the carnivals always had like that one tent where you could see the cow with six legs. You know, come and see these freakishly weird things. That's you and me to the world for what we hold. We are, a, we are a strange oddity, a bizarre abnormality, a freakish curiosity because of our unwillingness to take, partake in the world's debauchery. If we can accept that now, folks, it will protect us from compromise later. What type of attitude should we have as believers with regard to the lives that we have left? Jesus said it this way. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The point is simple. Folks, we are plowing forward with a single focus. We are not looking back at the life we have left, nor are we looking side to the, side to the world around us. We are focused on what we know to be true, proclaiming what we know to be true. We know unmistakably who God has called us to be and the lives that he has called us to live. We are to be a holy people set apart in this generation, a kingdom of priests for God in this generation. And I'm going to say it again. I've said it a thousand times. Your feet were set in this generation for a reason. And I do think that this generation will go down as one of the most difficult generations to have lived in. You and I are living with tremendous pressure, distractions, and other things that other generations could not have even fathomed about. Fathomed. Other generations could not have fathomed of planes that could fly you to the other side of the world in less than 24 hours or information that could be flooded to you 24 hours a day nonstop. That world didn't exist where there was electricity and other things. None of that existed for them. But this generation, which is so burdened with all of these things, who has God put in this generation? You. You're here for a reason. <coughs> Listen, instead of looking for common ground, let's firmly plant our feet on the solid ground where we know the footing is sure and the foundation is strong. I want to close with this thought. Listen, there is nothing courageous whatsoever about being friends with the world. Many churches, and you might even know many believers who are going to say, well, in the name of love and tolerance, I'm going to compromise because I, I really love these people over here, so I'm going to compromise in order to get them. That is not the loving thing to do, nor it is the courageous thing to do. The courageous thing to do is not to seek to find common ground. The courageous thing to do is call non-believers to get on the solid ground. Amen? And folks, there is only one solid ground. That is the Word of God. It is inerrant. It is sufficient. Everything you need to know in this life for a life that pleases God unto salvation is found in this book. Folks, don't compromise for a minute. You are here for a reason. We are here for a reason. This church, 
with your support, is going to hold the line in the days and weeks ahead. Amen? It may cost us, but we're going to hold the line. We're going to hold the line with the other faithful churches in North America and Canada that are doing it. And like I said, if I end up in jail, I hope you're in the cell next to me. I really do. Because we're going to sing hymns and glorify God there together. Amen? Amen. I finished with this question. Do you see the impossibility and utter futility of believers seeking friendship with the world? Let me pray. Well, Father in heaven, we come before you. And God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Canada who are being faithful to your word and proclaiming what is true with regard to marriage and gender and sexual uh, ethics. God, make them bold, make them courageous. And God, some of them are already in jail. Some of them are going to go to jail. God, we pray for them, pray for their families. We pray for the churches that have joined together this weekend across this country and in Canada. Strengthen your saints, strengthen these churches. And God, we pray for the churches that have lost their way, that you'd bring them back, the denominations that have lost their way. God, let them be convicted and come back to the truth. Let them come back to the truth. God, may your church rise up in this generation. God, it is not a lost generation as long as you're involved. If you're involved, Lord God, anything is possible. So Father, we love you. We thank you and encourage we leave now. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you right here next week. Have a great week. 